Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hello and welcome to Excellence Expected. My name is Mark Asquith. Now this week, I get to fulfill a personal ambition, all whilst bringing you guys some vital, vital, vital information and tips and advice from a serial entrepreneur, a philanthropist, an award-winning entrepreneurial mentor and a former Dragon's Den Dragon. With me this week is Mr. Doug Richard. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Now, Of course, here in the UK, a lot of people will be very familiar with your name from your time on Dragon's Den. And what I'd like to do is actually just give the listeners a little bit more background on Doug Richard. Where did you come from, Doug? Where did you you start your journey? Uh, Well, where I'm from is upstate New York from a really tired old city called Buffalo, um, which has absolutely nothing to recommend it. And the less said about the place, the better. Uh One of my coworkers just looked at me quite offended at my comments. Um, and I moved as early as I could to California, where I was a product of the California educational system. So uh, Berkeley undergraduate, UCLA graduate school. And my journey started there, being broke and young in L.A., which is a good place to be broke, to be honest. <laughs> and I noticed from my research, actually, the, the, the first taste of entrepreneurialism was was the sales of ice creams. Is that right? Oh my God, where did you find that? I used to drive an ice cream truck around South Buffalo in the summertime and I perhaps was more entrepreneurial than my bosses wanted me to be. <laughs> and so as always managed to get myself fired from that. As is always the case, isn't it? When you want to push a little bit harder. I had a great idea. You know, they were just selling soft ice cream and I had to turn in a certain amount of ice cream at the end of the day and a certain amount of money and the two had to match. And so I thought, well, I could make more money than this. So I used to go to the supermarkets and get old flats of root beer that they were throwing away because it had basically gone flat. And I would create floats. I'd drop some ice cream into the flat root beer and sell them as a float, which fizzed it up again. And I made the extra profit on the extra charge. And they just made a little money on ice cream. I made a shitload on selling root beer floats. And then when they discovered what I was doing, they, of course, instead of taking my innovation on board, fired me. (laughs) Was that the catalyst for for never wanting to work for anyone again? No, 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 no. I held quite a few jobs after that because I worked my way through university. And um, in in fairness, I did get fired for most of them. (laughs) So there was continuity in the story. Do you find, uh, this is sort of a personal thing, but do you find that there's a sort of a limit to how much you can take in any kind of employment when you just have that natural flair to want to do more? Do you find that was a limit to yourself as well? I, I, If you hadn't got sacked, you'd have probably just left anyway. Well, possibly. Um, since I always got sacked first, I never had the chance to find out. Um, I just was very, I was very impatient with having bosses and I was very impatient with just accepting the fact that they didn't, did it better or knew what they were doing. And I was quite arrogant when I was young, thinking that people did everything wrong. <laughs> I'm more, I'm more easygoing now. I can relate to that. That's uh, yeah. I was like that in my early twenties. So the management are wrong. What do they know? <laughs> exactly. 
Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. That's fantastic. So let's talk about School for Startups then, because it's it's such an intriguing idea. And obviously, it's been going for six years now, and the, the numbers speak for themselves. But for the listeners out there, what is School for Startups and how does it help people? So I started School for Startups in 2008 with the intent largely born out of my own prior experience that there's a great deal you can teach people about how to start a business. In fact, I would assert you can teach them most everything they need to know. And that if they do know all that stuff, chances are they'll start a better business. And of course, now time has borne out my theories. Um, But a lot of people don't look at teaching and entrepreneurship as being natural companions. People say, oh, you can't teach people entrepreneurship. What they're really saying is you can't teach people to have the right stuff. You know, you can't teach a person to be uh, uh, persistent. You can't teach people necessarily to be willing to listen to others and personal qualities and traits that perhaps make somebody a better entrepreneur. And I suppose you can't, but I would assert that that's true across all walks of life. In other words, what makes somebody a great research scientist or violinist or entrepreneur are largely the same qualities, persistence, willingness to follow your own head, the ability, you know, the willingness to put in a huge number of hours in pursuit of some excellence. So I don't really view the stuff that can't be taught as being solely the issue of entrepreneurship and everything else can be taught and nobody would expect you to be a scientist or a violinist without being taught. I don't understand why they expect you to run a successful, very fast growing enterprise without having some learning under your belt. I think one of the things that I take from that, and certainly it cropped up when I was when I was sort of looking into school for startups after we first spoke a few weeks ago, that one of the key things that I pulled from your research and your beliefs is that you don't really think that entrepreneurs are born. It's not, you know, it's nurture versus nature, if you like, which I'm seeing that more and more these days. People are, are starting to advocate this entrepreneurialism. I, I find that really, really interesting. Was that a catalyst for school for startups? Was it something that you saw a gap and thought, well, hang about, you know, we can do something with this? Well, yeah. I mean, partly it was also because I wanted to build a socially focused business that found a way to help others. Um, And there's also this very peculiar thing, because one of the biggest issues people face um, in either starting or not starting a business is a matter of confidence. You know, people say, oh, he's a risk taker or she's a risk taker. What they really mean is those people are confident. They have a sense of belief that they are reasonably likely to succeed. And that internal confidence is something that can be engendered and strengthened in people. We can help people become more confident. And therefore, I completely believe this is not a matter of what you're born with. I think that anybody who desires to start and grow a business can be put in a position to do so. Some people will do a better job than others, like every walk of life, but it's not something that either is an innate capacity of some and therefore ruled out by it for everyone else. That's really interesting. The confidence side of things is huge because you see so many people have so many ideas. You know, it's the old cliche, you sat in the nine to five in the rat race and dreaming of much more. But even though you're full of ideas, you don't have what you believe to be the skills to be an entrepreneur. But actually, you probably do. And you're right. It really is about that confidence, isn't it? Well, it's a funny thing because confidence follows from competence. If you ask people who are sitting in that nine to five job who are, you know, very stressed and, they, and you say, well, why don't you just go off and start it, the business you're dreaming about? They always say the same thing. They go, I wouldn't know where to start. They're not saying I couldn't do it. They're saying literally take them at face value. I wouldn't know where to start. Well, that's great. I'll show them where to start. 
And once I've shown them where to start and what the first 10 steps are and what you do next and how you do it and how to think about it, all of a sudden they do know where to start. And all of a sudden it goes from I couldn't do that to I could do that. Thus their confidence rises with their competence. I love that. And I think it's it's really testament to that step-by-step process because as you say, it's a lot of the time when you're starting in business, you see it as this mammoth task as opposed to a series of small steps that you can take just to get started. And is that... Is that really a core focus of School for Startups then, just helping people on their way and, and really setting a path for them in front of them? Yes. I mean, interestingly enough, School for Startups, of course, has broadened over the years. Initially, we were very much of showing people where and how to start. Um, these days, though, we work with people who've been in business for a while as well as people who are just starting um, because we take the view, and it's been borne out, that we can help people with their ambitions for growth who already have a business as much as people who are just starting out because it's the same learning and teaching learning. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, that makes sense. And speaking of, of, you know, people that have been successful and actually come to you following some level of success, let's just talk about the impact that School for Startups have had then. So in terms of case studies and impacts, you know, what do you guys hold as your your most revered customer, I guess, what are the partnerships that you've forged and founded and people, the, the success stories that are out there? Well, you, we, you can cut it a bunch of different ways. Um, you know, over the past, whatever now, coming up on seven years, we've taught or helped over 30,000 people start or grow businesses. So we're quite proud of the breadth of impact we've had. Um, and then I'm proud of much more particular things, individual businesses that have started and are growing fabulously successfully. Um, we've got, and there's a host of those is case studies and examples ranging from jeans companies to nut butter companies to tech companies. Um, and we tend to be very privileged to say, you know, they started here. Um, but we also you know, ran programs, for example, in Nigeria, where over a course of a year, we helped 1,400 people from very modest circumstances, become self-employed and start their own businesses. Over a period of two years, we helped people across uh, Romania in both Cluj and Bucharest. And so I think we helped approximately 400 people start their own businesses there. We're currently doing advisory work in Colombia to help them structure the economy to support entrepreneurship. In the UK, we were probably the largest social lender last year. And in the last two years, we've lent somewhere in the order of 15 million pounds 10,000 pounds at a time to over 1,500 people who wanted to start their own business. So I think we've got a lot of, you know, marks on the board at this point of things we've done and things we're doing that we like to hold up and say, yep, that was us. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, you know, when you consider how important SMEs are to the economy overall and, and the, the part that you play in that is huge then. That's fantastic. Really, really impressive. And how does that work for Doug Richard? Is that, you know, do you find that really fulfilling? Is that something that you just enjoy doing day in, day out? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I largely dictated by doing what I want to do. And I started school for startups Unlike every other business I've ever started, specifically with the intent of not having an endpoint for it. You know, I've always started business saying, right, five years from now, I'll finish it or sell it or fold it or whatever. School for startups, I figure I'd just start it and keep doing it until I fell over and I'm still standing. So I figure I got a long time to go. <laughs> I love that. And just to close up on School for Startups, then, what's next? What do we have in the future for School for Startups? Uh, there's a few big things coming up. Um, so I suppose the 
biggest thing from an effort point of view is that we've spent the last two years becoming an accredited higher education institution. And we will be offering our first master's degree in creative entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship starting next autumn, September 2015. And that's a full year master's degree offered through School for Startups. And it's for people who want an accredited program, want to dig in very deeply and really understand at every possible level the theory and practice of starting creative and social enterprises with an eye to either starting their own or helping other people start theirs or being running government policy on the subject. That's a really, really strong pathway for someone that wants to, to start in business and you know build upon that entrepreneurialism that they have within them. And I find that really, really, really positive because it's sometimes quite difficult to find that pathway that suits you if you're not an academic, if you're not someone that wants to leave school and, and get a job because you can't find a uni course that suits you. I, I think this is so, so vital for people, the fact that they can choose business, but with the support that you're providing. I think that's fantastic. Thanks. So that's a big deal for us because it took forever to get going. Um, <laughs> the other big deal, I suppose, is last year we launched a festival called the Make Good Festival, which is a celebration of creativity and entrepreneurship centered in London though intended for a broader audience, and it has gone sparklingly well. We took over the old Selfridges Hotel, wrapped the whole thing up, had 200 young creative startups all do pop-ups, had over 5,000 people through the door over four days, great speaker list. It was just a fantastic urban festival. And so we've now spun that out as its own standalone entity and make good, we'd like to make the key part of the London calendar for creative entrepreneurship. Oh, superb. That's 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 really interesting. And I love to see these kind of what starts out, you know, theoretically as a bit of a grassroots event, just grow and grow and grow year on year. And you can see how that fits into the entire holistic approach that School for Startups has. You know, the event is fantastic and it's just one part of what you guys do. So coming to you as a young entrepreneur, the support network just must be fantastic. It must just fill you with so much confidence. Well, it does. It does. It's getting richer and richer each year, and we're in you know, stronger and stronger position to have tools and support for pretty much all the issues entrepreneurs encounter, and thus our success rates are going up, and the success of the businesses that we take on or people we take on are going up tremendously quickly. Um, yeah, full stop. It's just we're a lot better now than we were before because we, we're, we're now of a dimension inside that we can do a lot more for people. I love that. That's really, really good. Really good. And it's great to see you guys still developing as well. It's not sitting back and saying, look, we've got one product and we're very good at this. It's saying, well, look, how else can we add value? How else can we help people? I think that's so important. And one thing I just want to move on to actually, Doug, is that obviously you've you, you sort of got the, the moniker of serial entrepreneur and the successes speak for themselves. And I'd like to just talk about the opportunities and, and that entrepreneurial spirit that is out there today versus 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know, it, I'm seeing so much more around entrepreneurialism and people embracing that in schools and colleges. Have you seen a, a bit of a shift in how entrepreneurs are doing business or how they're becoming entrepreneurs? Oh, yeah. I mean, the UK has changed profoundly, even in the 14 years I've been here. Um, the fact of the matter is the economy is such these days that it is easier to become an entrepreneur. The world is now built in a way not in small part due to the internet, of course, that it is simply becoming less expensive, less risky, and easier 
to get off the ground. And there's much more support and understanding and willingness and a thousand other things. And this, the culture follows the role models we create. And so you've got lots and lots of young people and middle-aged people and elderly people all going off and doing their own things. And these things tend to resonate. So other people then feel it's legitimized for them as well. So I do think that we have a culture now that, to be honest, does embrace entrepreneurship. I don't think that Britain is behind. I think in many ways it's starting to move ahead and certainly ahead of the rest of Europe. Um, so yes, we have a different culture today than then. And I think that it's going to continue. That's, this is a trend that won't stop because I think it's the nature of the working world that people are gonna have much more diversified careers and frequently it will be a career that sometimes means working for yourself. I love the idea that, that the entrepreneurial spirit is being embraced at a lower level as well. I, I'm just thinking back to when I was in secondary school and being dragged into the old careers advisor and someone saying, what do you want to do? And me just saying, well, look, all I want to do is just, I just want to have a happy life and I just want to have fun doing what I'm doing. And, you know, the looks you get at 15 telling a careers advisor that in the 90s are much different to what they would be these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's huge. I remember getting, getting the answer of, well, you just can't do that. And I thought, well, all right, I'm not sure how that's going to play. But the the schools and the universities, certainly as I've seen it, certainly in the north of England, Sheffield, Leeds, Manchester, and even in Barnsley, they seem to be embracing that so much more. Is that a trend that you guys are spotting through School for Startups? Well, it's not just a trend, we're a participant. So through a program we run called EEP, Education, Entrepreneurship and Education Program, we've worked with, gosh, I think one out of three FE colleges in this country over the last three years to run programs in the colleges to encourage 17, 18, and 19 year olds to consider entrepreneurial pathways. And EEP has been hugely successful. And I personally have taught at probably 40 or 50 FE colleges over the last two or three years. So yes, they're embracing it. Yes, I've been to some very obscure places in the UK. I think I've been to more places than anybody else I've ever met now. <laughs> and I think that some places are absolutely behind others, but I also think that these are communities that see entrepreneurship as ladders into prosperity. I think you're absolutely right. I love that. I love the idea of, of, of entrepreneurialism being a ladder into prosperity. I think that's a really, really good, solid quote. And what I'm also seeing, and you, you have probably seen it all the time, is that there's no real, there's no real age gap. There's no real, you know, I can't do this. This is a young man's game or this is an older man's game. It's with this try it attitude, you know, it's, it's anyone can try this. Anyone, if you have a sound idea or just the drive and you're pretty sure you can sell something that people want, you can do it, can't you? You can dive in and you can you can take steps to follow your own path where before people would have frowned upon that. Is Would you agree that that age gap is just not there anymore? I do. I think there's a number of both exogenous and internal reasons for the collapse of the notion that entrepreneurship's a young person's game. Um, so we certainly don't see that. We, we get people literally of all ages into our programs ranging from, you know, 18 to 60 or 70 or 80 sometimes. Um, I think you have to be young at heart. I don't think you have to be young to start a business. And in truth, the older entrepreneurs bring a wealth of experience to the table and tend to stand strong during the troubled times because they've seen trouble before better than the younger ones do frequently. You know, they're not as quick to panic or jump. So I do think that Actually, entrepreneurship is not just not a young person's game. It's actually very well suited to somebody who's been around a while. 
I think that's really interesting. I, I think the certainly the the advent of and you mentioned it earlier the advent of the internet and not only the internet of course but the speeds at which the internet is now available you know you can you can really set up a business on the side you can become an online entrepreneur you can create a business very very easily in comparison to what you used to be able to do and actually have that business become profitable in what is effectively your spare time can't you that's right. Um, and a lot of people are willing to do what you and I might call a sideline business these days, where they will have a job or a life, and but because they've got great access to the internet, they can build something on the side that then becomes something quite considerable. I, we have, I had a student yesterday uh, at the School for Creative Startups who said she had intentionally stopped working in the city when she had kids and decided to start a very specific, narrow, craft-based business out of her kitchen and had never expected it to be anything more than a hobby. And the only the reason she was at School for Creative Startups it had become everything but a hobby. She was shipping thousands of products. She was having scaling issues and production issues. She was a business. And this was, you know, she'd given up her nine-to-five job. And what she found is she picked up a five-to-nine job. That's really interesting, that, because it's it's back to that confidence thing. If you think, you know, a lot of people that are perhaps wanting to leave the rat race and wanting to leave a job that they don't see themselves in forever, the fact that that can be started, as you say, on the side and become a scalable, global, highly, highly profitable business that not only is very, very successful, but actually works around your lifestyle. I think that's it's massive for people. It's massive. When I talk to, to, even just to my parents, you know, they've still got the, the theory that, well, not many people really like the job. You just go to work because you need to go to work. And I, I find that generation difference huge, really, really interesting. Well, she said, I mean, the thing that I think the takeaway from that is she intentionally set out to design the business around her life rather than her life around the business. And it has been hard work, I'm sure, and will continue to be. But she's designed a business, quite rightfully, that permits her. And she says, my job, my goal is to pick my kids up from school every day. And my business is designed around making sure I have that time with them. I love that. that that's that's fantastic. I think the, the old associations of business, yes, it's long hours. Yes, it's hard work. But the old associations of never seeing the family, never taking a break, never seeing the kids. You know, everything that, that the lady's saying there is turning that right on its head. And it's what? modern entrepreneurialism is for me. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. The, um, and I, I think we can give a lot of credit to the internet for giving people the opportunity to run and start businesses like that. It is a big deal. And I don't think the changes the internet are having culturally and entrepreneurially are even begun to be done yet. I think that this is going to be that there's a much, much, much more to come and people have no idea how much our lives are going to change and how much will impact on what we call a working life and how many people are going to have to really take a lot more control of their careers in the sense of becoming the businesses of a person and shaping the world view consequently. Well, that's really interesting, actually. I wanted to mention the kind of uh, the, the, the business as a, as a person side of things and how that actually the internet facilitates much more instant feedback. We were talking, uh, I had a, a tech startup founder on a few weeks ago, Adriano Ferrari, and he was saying that his business has, has become so much better because of the speed at which he can gather feedback on his new software. And, you know, this kind of more urgent nature, this this more urgent, rapid 
I guess it's a it's a an attitude that we all have because we're all tied to our mobiles or our tablets or our laptops. Everyone's in a rush these days, and they're also in a rush to give feedback positively or negatively on on the experiences they have. Is that something that you see as a massive benefit to business, or can that be a, a hindrance at times? You know, do you have to remain pretty agile and 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 pick your battles when it comes to that rapid feedback? Well, yeah, I mean, the whole lean startup, do everything rapidly, fad. People are quite Panglossian about it, aren't they? They think it's all good. It's not. Um, I think it it is great as a company to get immediate, direct feedback from your ultimate customer. And this is the premise that most of the attitude is based upon. But having run many companies, I also know that customers are not always right. And the expectations of customers are rising tremendously quickly and probably faster than businesses can actually deal with. And you're never going to satisfy everyone. So there's a real challenge in the promise that's implicitly made. When I ask for feedback of a customer, the customer assumes they're giving feedback in pursuit of a change being made. If they don't see any changes that result from the feedback, it actually creates greater discontent, not content. The second thing is real innovation rarely comes from customers. Customers can see how they like things to evolve. But if you're going to be breathtakingly different, you're not going to be able to get feedback. You're going to have to forge out on your own and have people follow. You have to be a leader then. And new things don't arrive through the evolution of current products. They tend to be destructive of current products. They break away. They get in the way of. They undermine. And that's, uh, you know, you have to be an unreasonable person to stand your ground in that sense. And the current speed of iteration and feedback means you have to be able to stand your ground even more forcefully. That really, really resonates with me. That I think that, that just reminds me of the old Henry Ford quote. If he had given people what they wanted, he would have given them faster horses. And it's that's such a big, big thing, the ability to see outside of what people believe they want. And as you say, almost have that stubbornness to stick to your guns if you've done due diligence and you've done your research and you're confident that you've got a product that will work. I think that's vital. And you guys must see all the time, you know, especially in the app culture and the software markets. Is that is that something that comes through School for Startups quite a lot, this kind of tech side of things, this lean side of things? Well, it does. And I think the lean startup is a very important concept. And I think it applies very well in a purely digital business. Um, because in a digital business where everything is on a screen or it's a web or the product itself is intellectual property or it's intangible, you can try quickly, you can test, you can come up with products that are minimally viable, as they like to say, and then you can abandon what doesn't work. But in the world of the physical goods, this is a pile of nonsense, isn't it? What does a minimally viable handbag look like, for goodness sake? Um, you, you literally cannot apply some of these concepts to products that you build or products that are complex or products that need to interoperate in a corporate environment. There's a whole world out there, the greater portion of it that is not, you can't just seduce into this lean notion. And I think that though it's applicable in the very narrow frames of the Valley and web startups or app startups, I think it actually can get in the way of a more thoughtful approach for businesses that require more detailed execution. I think that measured and pragmatic approach to that is fantastic as well. I, I love the idea that yes, there are practices out there, the lean startup practice, you know, and, and so on and so forth. But it's very easy for businesses to jump on trend and, and, and sort of almost become jaded by the buzzwords that are out there. And I love that pragmatic and measured approach because at the end of the day, 
that's what breeds success, that consistency, the persistence and, and the, the pragmatism that goes around that. It's not jumping onto a specific practice at any given time. Is it? It's making sure that you're doing good work all of the time. Mm. Well, I just think a bit of thoughtfulness up front can save years of mistakes, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. And actually, speaking of uh, thoughtfulness, Doug, I know you've put some time into thinking around three actionable tips to help startups survive in that crucial first year. So I wanted to pick your brains on those three tips, sir. Okay. So three tips to start to survive your first year. The first one comes under the heading of numbers. First, don't be afraid of them. Um, they're not, you know, the arithmetic you need to start a business is addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Second, your business will die because it runs out of cash. It's the only reason all businesses die. Therefore, you should think about cash every day. You should ask yourself, where's the cash coming from? When's it going to arrive? Who am I going to get it from? Since the only thing you control is the money you spend, you should cut your cloth according to your cash. And business, if, you, if there's one tip of above all over, all others, if you want to know how to run a business, Start by managing your cash. And managing your cash means watching it go in, watching it go out, and measuring it. That's my big number one tip, and it kind of stands above all others. Uh, the second tip I'd give is that you have to run after revenue hard, quickly, immediately, and with purpose. If somebody was willing to buy something from you, be careful before you say no. That doesn't mean do unprofitable work. It doesn't mean go off strategy necessarily. What it does mean is in the early days of a business, saying yes to revenue is a deeply good thing. And people are forever saying, well, that's not the kind of business I'm in. Well, you should ask yourself, why are people asking me for something if it wasn't what you intended? Because just because you intended to deliver something in a certain way doesn't mean that's what the world wants. And if the world's willing to pay you for something, that's important to pay attention to. Uh, third tip I suppose I'd give is you can't do it all yourself. And you got to learn to find other people you can hand stuff to very, very quickly. And even if it costs a bit in the beginning, it will save you in the long term because you can then begin to spread yourself out. You do not have much time and you have very little money. And both are scarce resources. Most people treat money as a scarce resource. They treat time as infinite. It's not. And therefore, you have to learn how to work with others, get other people involved, persuade them to work with you, do stuff on your behalf. And that's as valuable as doing the job yourself. That's fantastic. I think those three tips, realistically, are so, so vital. I think, especially the cash flow side of things, I think it's easy for some people, isn't it, to sort of say, well, I have accountants for that. And, you know, I have I have bookkeepers for that. I have other people for that. And it's not the case. I entirely agree. You have to be so tight on the cash flow early on, even if the numbers, even if they're not very nice, you know, sometimes it's difficult to face the realism that you are struggling and you've got to get your head down and make a change. And, it's, it's so, so vital, that. So I find that really, 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 really crucial. Is that something that you guys, as School for Startups, is that something that you guys find a challenge? Do people come to you with these, these ideas, these fantastic, fantastic, enthusiastic ideas, but actually the fundament, fundamentals, those three things you said there, do they tend to struggle with those things or is it different for different people? Oh, it's all over the place. Some people are perfectly comfortable with the notion a lot of people treat things like cash flow as some very foreign concept that they need to learn how to do, not realizing it's actually a very natural thing that if they just relaxed a bit, they'd realize that all you're looking at is a bank account with money going in and money going out. So it, 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 people make these things much more complicated, I think, than they need to, and then they become fearful of them. 
But we spend a lot of time with students in every area of our work, making sure that they run their businesses based on their cash. That's perfect. Massive, massive, massive advice there. Thank you, sir. Doug, thank you so much for your time. If you don't mind, just tell people where they can find you online. Sure. The easiest place to find me is at www.schoolforstartups.net. Superb. Check it out, guys. If you are thinking about jumping ship, leaving the rat race, or trying out a new idea, head over, head over, excuse me, head over to schoolforstartups.net and check out everything Doug and his team are doing. Doug, thank you once again, sir. Thank you. It was enjoyable talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you. And for the listeners out there, head over to excellence-expected.com where you can pick up all of the show notes. And of course, you can subscribe using iTunes and Stitcher. And of course, while you're over there, don't forget you can pick up a copy of my book, which will help you cut your working hours and increase your impact. Until next time, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel.